From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. Good morning and welcome to the CQ Budget Podcast. Uh, I'm your guest host today, Pete Cohen. I'm the Budget and Fiscal Policy uh, Managing Editor for CQ Roll Call. Your regular host, David Lerman, was unavoidably detained. He uh, has been sidetracked by the on-again, off-again border border security and immigration talks happening in the Senate, which we'll get to in a minute. But I'm happy to inform you that we have Aiden Quigley on the show this morning. Aiden is our ace budget and appropriations reporter, takes the lead on a lot of this stuff for us. And uh, I think we're going to have a good conversation. And David, we'll be back with you uh, next week. So, uh, Aiden, why don't we start with, I think, you know, one of the things that gets lost in this whole discussion of the supplemental in the Senate is that um, uh, there's only one week left in the session and the House seemingly has no interest in whatever it is that the Senate even comes up with uh, if they're able to come up with something on on the border deal. So what's going to happen if, let's say, for the sake of argument, the senators working on this border and immigration deal actually come up with with a viable plan and they're able to somehow sneak it through the Senate in the next week, week and a half or so. Uh, what happens then? That is a really good question. I mean, I think we'd have to wait till January for the House to get back to see what will happen because it's pretty clear that you know, Speaker Johnson and the rest of the House wants to go home for Christmas as they end of next week as they were scheduled to do. Uh, it would really be surprising to me if we if the Senate stayed passed and their planned exit get it next week as well. Which, you know, it's possible they do that based on if they are close to passing this national security, which is an interesting way to put it. But, you know, hard military aid might be a better way to put it, uh, supplemental. Um at the end of next week, maybe they do stick around for a little longer to get it done. But at the end of the day, I think we'll see you know, no action on this until January as, as the House kind of plots how they want to respond, if they want to respond. As we saw, the Senate did not take up the Israel uh, bill that the House passed, but that was because it included all this IRS uh, decisions that Democrats would never go for. But long story short, don't expect anything passed this year. Yeah, which is, I mean, I think it, you know, the Ukrainian government has a pretty good case that they've made to the U.S. government and I mean, frankly, a lot of the European uh, countries as well that uh, they need the money yesterday. Um, and but you know, it doesn't really seem like the Europeans are coming to the table with a big offering, and that may give some of the Republicans who are holding, uh, you know, holding out on the Ukraine aid a little bit of political cover uh, as well to to you know really say, look, we're willing to de- to make a deal with you, but we got to do something on the border and. You know, I think you're seeing lots of vulnerable Democrats in tight races next year um, come out and say the same thing. I think, you know, you're seeing big city mayors, big city blue, you know, Democratic uh, parts of the country. Eric Adams, mayor of New York, was in town yesterday um, talking about this as well. So I think the it seems like the pressure is kind of shifting over to the Democrats to come back to the table. I think we saw that with with Senator Chris Murphy, who's been leading the talks for his side, get back in the room with Senator Lankford um, of Oklahoma to try to do something here. But, um, you know, Aiden, Mike Johnson, the speaker, the, the relatively new speaker of the House, 
I think, you know, we often talk about this, that you can't really put these issues into silos and, and, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum on Capitol Hill. So Mike Johnson right now is dealing with a possible revolt on the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, um, which is shaping up to, to, you know, possibly pass the House with mostly Democrats, it's starting to look like. And, you know, Mike Johnson and Kevin McCarthy was criticized for this from, from his right flank. And now Mike Johnson is similarly being criticized for passing bills with Democratic votes. So if he brings to the floor an NDAA that is, you know, has to rely heavily on Democrats to get through. And there's lots of things in there, you know, the ancillary issues like FISA, the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act issue, um, you know, things like that. That he's having to make all these deals with the Democrats with, for him to to then turn around and put a Ukraine aid bill that the conservatives in the House have just vehemently opposed all year, that just seems to be to me to be a little maybe a bridge too far for the relatively new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, right now. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think it would be probably politically difficult for him to do that. I think, as you pointed out earlier, that there are so few moving things that are going to pass, you know, moving piece of legislation that you have to, Republicans think they have to take the, the chance when they get there, even though, you know, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Johnson have both said that they do support Ukraine aid. You know, they, they see that this is a chance to get a, what they would consider a win for Republicans on the border uh, done. So they, you know, they're holding, holding this up and trying to use the leverage that they have. Uh, but as we're seeing, these border talks are going nowhere. And it'd be surprising to me if they if they were able to work something out. But I think it's clear to Democrats now they have to come up with something if they want Ukraine to uh, get the funding that, that they're asking for. So they're really going to try to push for it. But it's going to be a challenge to put it lightly. Yeah, and and continuing on on the theme that everything is kind of interconnected right now in these final you know week to ten days of the session. They they're we you know we've been writing about this. You've been doing a lot of on-the-ground reporting on this, but um, they need to come to, to, to an agreement on what, what are they going to be able to spend in fes- fiscal 24 for the regular uh, appropriate the regular annual appropriations bills. Um, you know, as uh, as we've seen, those bills are in a stopgap funding resolution that runs out January 19th for a chunk of the government and for and February 2nd for another chunk the rest of the government. Uh, including the Department of Defense, uh, it's a top top priority for defense hawks on the Hill, who may or may not support the Ukraine aid, but they want to definitely see that regular defense budget get through. Uh, and then, of course, the Democrats are um, pushing hard on funding all of the other agencies uh, in the, in the federal government. So, um, what has to happen between now and then to actually get this done? And, you know, again, if you have Mike Johnson making deals this month with the Democrats on things like the NDAA, on things like FISA, um, and, you know, maybe he's going to bring an impeachment resolution to the floor, maybe paper over some differences with the right flank that way. But, um, you know, he's definitely doing a lot of things that his predecessor did, Kevin McCarthy, in terms of keeping the trains going on time, understanding that you've got to get 60 votes in the Senate, which is divided 50-50, uh, so, which means ultimately for anything to become law, it's got to be bipartisan. Mike Johnson seems to get that, but 
you know, there's only so many things that, that you can, uh, you know, to make the conservatives upset about before they start taking, you know, radical steps like deposing a, a Speaker of the House. So how does that play into where Mike Johnson is on these top line funding discussions where a big chunk of his right flank is saying, you cannot spend it one penny more than this. Whereas the Democrats and the White House and the Senate Republicans are saying, you've got to spend a uh, Y amount of money, which is significantly higher. Yeah. So, you know, as we've seen, it's test negotiation at this point. Veterans of the appropriations process that we've talked to say that they need a deal by next week on top line if there's any chance to get final fiscal 2024 appropriations done by mid-January, which is our first of our two-tiered deadline here under the last uh, continuing resolution. So th there's really not much time to spare. And in these talks, Johnson is trying to get Democrats to come down from where they are, which is the debt limit. Negotiate the agreement that came out of debt negotiation, uh, debt limit negotiations, which is includes a fifty-four billion side deal, in their opinion, between McCarthy and Biden, which is the reason that they voted for this legislation. It, it would bolster non-defense spending to flat, essentially, from the previous year. So they really believe that that should be part of it, but. We're seeing House Republicans start to say that they want the letter over the law, which is, you know, a much lower non-defense spending amount as the top line spending level. So we, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I think it would be surprising to me if we got a top line spending agreement in the next week, because kind of reading between the tea leaves, it looks like Republicans are way, way lower than where Democrats, House Republicans, to be clear, Senate Republicans are on board with the Democrats on this. They want these kind of spending levels, but. It doesn't seem like we're close to a breakthrough here on the top line, and that's really going to, you know, put us in some trouble in in the new year. Yeah, it's really interesting if you think back to that debt ceiling deal back in you know late May. It was assumed at the time that okay, we have a deal on these numbers, so it's going to make the appropriations process go much smoother. We know what numbers we're going to be working with, and you know that's really the key right there. Is once you have those numbers, you can write those bills; they meet the targets. And then you're just kind of battling, haggling over the details within those those top lines. But I think as we saw, they really it was really because you know raising the debt ceiling is just an awfully awfully difficult vote, primarily on the Republican side. Um, but even some Democrats in tough districts don't like you know we're raising the nation's credit card limit. That never looks that's not a good look politically. So they had to make this really kind of artful deal, and both sides needed to kind of sell that as a win to their respective rank and file. So the way they did that was Republicans said, okay, look, here are the numbers that are in the actual text of the bill. You know, and on paper, we're cutting non-defense spending. Well, and there was kind of an, you know, an unspoken agreement that you're going to keep the Veter Department of Veterans Affairs whole, but everything else was going to take a big hit from the previous fiscal year. Those were the numbers that were written into the law. That's what was all the Republican talking points, their press releases. It came out and said, look, this is what we're doing. This is what this law says. Now, meanwhile, on the other hand, you have the Democrats in the White House putting out their own talking points saying, yeah, that that's what they said is true, but there's this side deal that's not written into the law that allows us to spend a lot more money than what the Republicans are telling you. So 
you know, the chickens kind of come home to roost when a McCarthy is booted out of out of his position. Um, and so the side deal that he ostensibly made with the president ostensibly is not valid anymore, right? If you're if you're uh, you know a Freedom Caucus member or somebody else on the on the right who's saying I don't want to spend any more of that money, um, and now but the Democrats are left saying, well, wait a second, we had a deal. In fact, as you put it, Aiden, the only reason they voted for that debt limit deal in the first place was because of that side agreement. So. There was, you know, I, I, so on the one hand, it was supposed to make the trains run on time by having those numbers in place. But on the, on the other hand, it just led to mass confusion over which numbers are actually going to use. And yeah. we've seen and that I, play. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think, I, I, I think that this is, was foreseeable at the time of the delimit deal as well. You know, when you're legislating by non-binding side deals, it, it might not end well for you if, if, you know, the circumstances change. Which, if you look at the Republican conference over the summer, I mean, in January, McCarthy, it took him forever to get to become speaker in the first place. So there's always this threat of him getting booted, kind of uh, lingering. And, you know, I, I think Rose DeLauro at the time, the House Appropriations Making Member, pointed out that, you know, defense, you know, in the law, the defense, the defense, the Pentagon is not relying on, on, on you know, not. In the, not in the law side deals for their funding, you know. So I think I think that was a big concern of them at the at the time, and I don't think I don't think that they're shocked that we're in this position right now. Yeah, no, it's exactly, and it's a great point. So when we talk about these top lines, the Department of Defense and some and related security uh, accounts and you know, and some other agencies, there that number is locked in. That's in the text of the law. They are guaranteed more than three percent increase above the prior fiscal year. That's baked into the cake in the debt ceiling law. Non-defense, on the other hand, that's a that's a pretty steep cut. It's like 7% when you back out the VA. So, you know, that's what's in the text. And, you know, I think you're, you're absolutely, Rosal DeLauro hit the nail on the head back at the time. She said, look, Defense Department, they don't have to worry about this side deal. They're getting their money no matter what. That's guaranteed, you know, the Republicans are all going to support that anyway. But non-defense, it has to rely on this sort of, you know, hazy side deal that's not written down in the text of the law anywhere. Maybe it's floating around in a sheet of paper at the white at OMB somewhere or in, you know, in the Democratic leader's office, but no one's actually, I, have you talked to anyone who's actually seen it? I mean, you know, we know, you know, they, they a bit, of, there was a bit of a tell in the law itself where they said, okay, we are going to appropriate 22 billion for this sort of account at the Department of Commerce that was previously I mean, it existed, but it was there. No one's quite sure what anyone was doing with that money. It was basically had a, just a, like a token amount of money in it. And so, okay, they put in $22 billion into that account. And so that was a bit of a tell right there that, yes, okay, they were going to pull that money out and put it into some domestic programs. And that was part of the side deal. Okay, maybe we'll, get, we'll give you that. Um, but the rest of it, if you're, you know, look, you look at some of these Freedom Caucus members who have come out strong against using any of the side deal money, Chip Roy, who's, you know, been very vocal on these issues all year long. In fact, he was one of the, one of the ones who, who kind of led the whole negotiation with McCarthy at the beginning of the year. He's saying, look, even, even though, you know, 60% of the House Republicans who voted for the debt limit deal. You know they were they were voting they, they were voting on that based on the press releases that our guys were putting out, which said nothing about any side deals. You know, so 
uh, that's that's really the crux of it right now. And so the Democrats, you know, I sympathize with them. Patty Murray, the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee, has been really, you know, strong on this issue the last week or so, you know, bashing the, the, the Republicans for going back on the deal. And, you know, Rosa DeLauro, frankly, probably predicted this way, way back when. But um, it's really hard to kind of convince people to to live up to a side agreement that none of them were party to in the first place. Right. I mean, am I missing something here? No, I think I think you laid it out pretty clearly and kind of looking forward to how Mike Johnson is, is using this in these talks with, you know, he's saying that if they don't move in this direction, he'll, he'll p- pursue a full, you know, full year continuing resolution, which would on the non-defense side, they, those caps would hit, you know, under, under this scenario. And that would lead to a sequester of non-defense spending which is really difficult for Democrats to swallow, and they're not going to vote for it. So I think Democrats would likely choose a, a shutdown over the huge amount of defense cuts. But but at the same time, it does give Johnson some leverage in these stocks where he could say, look, the status quo is these caps, which would, you know, cart Democrats way more than Republicans who, who care more about defense spending generally. Yeah, so this is a, a really tough issue to, to, to kind of explain. Uh, you know, so just we'll, we'll try to do the Cliff Notes version here real quick. But basically, the, the debt limit law had this ba- backstop mechanism in it, which said if you don't finish all the appropriations bills by April 30th of next year, then we're going to cut all of the funding levels back down to what it was the previous year, FY23, minus 1%. And there's a kind of this complicated formula for how you get there. But it hits, you know, many programs, but not, but some are exempt, like the VA. Um, it hits some other things that are outside of the regular appropriations process, et cetera, et cetera. But be that as it may, what Mike Johnson is saying now is that, okay, there's not going to be any more short-term CRs when we get to that, to the end of the of this next deadline here in January and February. Uh, what we're going to do is, if the Democrats won't come in my direction on the top line numbers, we're just going to go right to a full year CR which by most accounts, there's some, you know, legalistic discussions going on right now about what exactly a, a short-term CR means. But by most, from most people we've talked to, correct me if I'm wrong, Aiden, but most people seem to be of the view that a full year CR would turn off those sort of part year cuts that would take effect and which would have adjusted the spending caps in really, you know, odd ways, you know, defense goes up. Uh, sorry, defense goes down, non-defense goes up, and and et cetera, et cetera. But so forget about all that. What, what they're going to be left with is are the caps for FY24 that were negotiated in the debt limit deal, which cut non-defense spending. So that would, what that would mean is if they did a full year CR, which would just be extending FY23 levels, they're way above the cap for FY24. So you're going to have to have that across the board cut, that sequester to bring that level down and you know, there's all kinds of calculations going on back of the envelope or what have you about how that would affect cer- certain programs, what the exact percentages would be. But you know, we've seen Senate Appropriations Democrats uh, put out yesterday their own analysis of what they think it would mean, um, and it's some pretty tough stuff in there. So again, it gets back to I think the the, the you know the issue that Johnson has with his right flank. They think they they're kind of holding all the marbles here. Because they say, look, if you won't agree to the cuts that we want to do, 
And we can make those cuts in a smarter way if we do the full year appropriations bills. It wouldn't be this kind of meat axe, blunt instrument approach across the board. We could actually look at programs on their merits and make the cuts where we need to. If you don't do that, we're going to have that meat axe approach. And, uh, you know, so that, that does kind of put them in, in, a, in, a, in a better position here, maybe, than a lot of people uh, thought they would be, even though they're kind of isolated because you've got the Democrats in the House and the Republicans and the Democrats in the Senate and the White House, of course, all on board with this higher spending level. But, you know, to your point, Aiden, you, you see you're of the view that maybe, you know, maybe they'll take a shutdown instead of letting those cuts uh, hit. It's hard for me to imagine that Democrats, when they control the Senate and the White House, would accept huge non-defense cuts. But of course, the shutdown in an election year when you're on the White House is not... Uh, ideal politically for, for Democrats. So maybe maybe they would be more flexible, but it's really, you know, the Democrats were not happy with the caps, you know, at, uh, for non-defense spending. Uh, after years of fighting for parity, you know, defense spending would go up and non-defense spending would not follow suit in, in this scenario. So obviously the politics change in the midterms and everything, but it's going to be a really interesting rest of the year and early next year to see how they kind of navigate this because it's really a not a, a no win situation for for Democrats at this point. That that's a really interesting take. You know, I mean, I, I haven't heard before that um, really how you know you, you typically associate these kinds of kind of going to the mattresses, you know, battle it out, um, you know, no holds barred fights over spending, you, you kind of associate that with the Freedom Caucus and the Republicans. But I mean, it seems like maybe if push comes to shove, the Democrats might might say, you know what, look, do your full year CR or, you know, or let's just shut the government down and, uh, uh, you know, and we'll fight that out uh, and see what happens. But um, yeah, the Democrats, you know, as we've seen time and time again, are needed even in the House, the House cannot pass any any appropriate anything on appropriation without Democrats. So it's it's really kind of uh, we'll see we'll see how 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 resolute they are if this is this is the path that we end up going down. But it would be challenging for me to see Democrats just easily accepting huge non-defense cuts. Right. No, I absolutely agree. But on the other hand, if Mike Johnson agrees to a number, let's say let's say a number that's even halfway between what the, the uh, Republic, what the senators want and where, you know, the Freedom Caucus is right now. Uh, you know, what does that do? Because, I, I mean, you're going to have the arguments from the left that says that's still a b- pretty big cut for non-defense. And then on the right, you're going to say, well, no, you're violating the, you know, the terms of the, uh, the, the, you know, the strict letter of the debt ceiling law. So, I mean, where do they, ha- you know, how does that play out? Yeah, that's that is a question that we will be uh, following in the next uh, next few weeks. But I think if I have to make a prediction, it's no top line agreement next week. It's we come back in January and, and we're staring down. I, I shut down in the middle of the month, and this one it seems to me is more perilous than our previous. You know, right before things. There's no things. You know. But before Thanksgiving, everyone wants to get out of town. And Jimmy January, if you're going to fight, that's as good a time to fight as any, as any other time. Yeah. So so before we wrap up here, Aiden, just kind of walk us through the, the timeline. So um, 
let's say for basically what what are the steps that have to happen between now and say you know January nineteenth to actually avoid this kind of meltdown scenario we're talking about here? What you know? What what do the staff have to be doing? What you know? Who needs who needs what and by what you know in what time time frame? Yeah. So essentially, we need a top line agreement by next week in order to start all the staff work. And staff will have to work through the you know through the holidays with no time off essentially in order to make this happen uh, as planned. But the first step is a top line agreement. Second step would be dividing that top line number across the twelve appropriations bills which is tricky and, and time-consuming, and that'll take at least a week, maybe maybe longer. Then you have the House and Senate negotiations, which, you know, how the money in each bill will get spent, and policy riders at the subcommittee levels, which will take, you know, at least around three weeks is, is the estimate. So that is also taking some time. After the subcommittee negotiations, they kick up issues to the full committee, where you know top appropriators need to make some choices about a child you know also child that'll take about a week so and really we're really what if they had a top line agreement today we would be running up against the deadline if they have one next week they're really gonna have to hustle and and uh the work is going to be really challenging to to get done in time but i think if you're asking appropriators they might take the top line agreement this week over the uncertainty of, of going into next year with a shutdown right around the corner and no clear way out. Yeah, we, have, we haven't even talked about the policy riders issues. I mean, as we're seeing with the NDAA this week, I mean, that that's posing a big problem for um, for Johnson on the floor next week with his own party. So, I mean, you know, you have the, the but po- let's say they do get a top line deal. They work through some of these issues they're going to have to probably strip a lot of those culture war provisions out of the bills, just like they did with the NDAA. Because uh, as you as you point out, you got to have Democratic votes for these bills. So, I mean, you're looking at bills that if there's going to be any sort of a deal on appropriations for FY24, um, you've got to strip out the policy riders, the conservative policy riders. You've got to increase non-defense spending above where the Freedom Caucus and conservatives want to go. And you've got to do all that and Mike Johnson has got to agree to all that within the next few weeks after all of the heat he's taking on all these other things. Um, I mean, you know, maybe the idea is just you let the kind of the Christmas spirit, you know, cool everybody down. And I mean, everybody's going to have some time except the poor appropriation staff who have to deal with these bills over the holidays. And then they come back and everybody's, you know, happy in, in January. I, I don't know. It's hard to see it coming together. It is. It is challenging to see how we how we get out of this mess and you know fiscal 25 is something that people are starting to think about and talk about a little bit and the federal's budget request and if you want to be on time next year which house conservatives really want to be uh they have to start thinking about that so uh just to, you know obviously that'd be a huge shift from what we've seen historically getting done uh you know by the end of the fiscal year but uh, yeah absolutely absolutely i mean that you know i i, I think you know you're certainly going to see probably an end to this process in some form or another uh, in you know late January, early February. So I, I think probably people are, are pretty much done at this point with FY24 and want to move on. You know, to your point, um, OMB's budget is supposed to come out. You know, I think a week after that that second 
deadline, you know, right after the Super Bowl, pretty much in, in February. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what that happens. It's not really a binding deadline necessarily. So they're often late um, on the budget. And then, of course, you'll have the State of the Union. And it is an election year. And uh, if you think getting appropriations bills done is hard in an odd numbered year, wait till you see what happens in an election year. Yeah. An odd numbered year where we had a midsummer top line deal that conceivably could have paved the way to, you know, a odd time appropriations uh, if it was ever going to happen. So, uh, you know, fiscal 25 is, is a frightening concept, but one that is exciting to. Uh, who knows? Who knows what's in the, the side deal for FY twenty five, or if, if even one exists? Uh, well, there are actually really interesting things to talk about. Fiscal twenty five. I know we're running out of time here, but the defense spending level in fiscal twenty five is like not acceptable at all to Senate Republicans or probably House Republicans. So it's really the Dallas a lot. It is really gonna. We'll see the effect. The, these two years where we're under this this Dallas uh, a lot are really kind of fascinating from an appropriation standpoint and giving us a lot to write about, a lot of interesting scenarios to ponder, and it's a good time to be an appropriations reporter. <laughs> One of the few who I think who've, uh, who've ever admitted that publicly. But uh, <laughs> All right, Aiden, well, great to talk with you. Uh, we'll get to FY25 in due time, but um, we have plenty, plenty to chew on here. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on this week's edition of the CQ Budget Podcast. I hope you've suffered through my guest hosting uh, without you know too much uh, dismay. And you know the good news is our beloved budget tracker David Lerman will be back with you next week once he uh, gets his. He's had some technical issues, but um, also he's busy. He's out reporting on the ground on the on the on the border standoff. So um, he'll bring you more from his reporting, and uh, we'll talk more with Aiden and others on, on our team and the rest of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in future podcasts. For right now, that's all. Have a great day, and uh, we'll see you next time.